This is a process that you're going through together, but that doesn't mean that it's not hard in the middle and you wonder like, what's going on here? And why is this so much harder than I thought it was going to be someday? Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast, a place for people who want to be in a book club and read more books, but don't really have time to do either. Don't worry, we take care of that for you. I do at least. My name's Andy, and uh, if you are trying to figure out how to be a a better parent, there's so many resources you can find. Uh, There's not much better than this book, though. It's life-changing. It's called The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. Amy and Jeffrey Ulrich have written the book. They're in the book club today. And let's start here. You guys talk about in the book, you know, that moment when you have your first child and you're sitting in the parking lot of the hospital and you look at your spouse and you say, they're just going to let us drive off the lot with this baby that we have no idea what to do with. You know, it didn't come with an instruction manual. I couldn't believe you could just walk out with one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But there's no tests I need to take or... And so, but you say, you know, getting past that, what do we do question? There's actually uh, a deeper question to ask that can kind of help out too. What is that? Yeah. How should I be with this particular person that is in my life? And uh, it's hard to get, change your framework. I think, especially culturally, we're prompted so much to pay attention to our performance or how things appear right now, what's happening right now. Um, but uh, my uh, work and attachment uh, and a lot of child development research shows that it's, it's the relationship over time that really predicts how things go for kids as they emerge into adulthood. All right, so let's, di- let's dig into uh, some of the, uh, the needs of every child here. Some of these are kind of a little more obvious, a little, some of them I'm, I'm going to need a little more of a definition. <laughs> but uh, delighting, yeah. I thought this was kind of one, that, okay, I, I understand that. But, you know, how do we delight in our kids when they're not really being delightful? (laughs) Yeah, it's such a good question. So we have found that delight, just pouring love um, into our kids and really embracing that that moment of seeing them for who they are and, and being a mirror to them that, Oh, I'm happy that you're here. (laughs) You are this beautiful person who I get to share my life with, who I get to be with is so important for our kids. And being a parent takes a lot out of us. It's constant, especially right now, people in the U S are just struggling and all over the world, just struggling so much right now, trying to balance so much time and, and, um, schools and jobs on top of everything else together. And it's hard sometimes to feel that delight. So I think sometimes it's just setting aside moments of your day to see your kid and just expressing your love for them. Um, And it doesn't have to be this constant state of, um, of delight with your kid, but really just sometimes it's just a decision. It's saying, I want to, I know that this is important. I believe that this is something um, that is going to help them thrive as they grow to know that, that they are loved just because of who they are, not because of anything that they're doing. Um, and so just making time to say that out loud. I think it's kind of interesting, too, because uh, looking at all these um, needs, th- is this the only one where you really can't overdo it? That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, you can't overdo it uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, um, you don't need a whole lot of it. Um, you know, it really is uh, not like you've got a schedule in. Uh, a bunch of time for it. Uh, It's one of uh, two needs that we call mirroring needs, which is really practicing 
presence with your kids where you're not, you don't have an agenda. And so much of our life is driven by um, feeling uh, like you're on a schedule um, and you have to get things done. Um, and so that consciousness part to just step out of the busyness and become aware, um, be curious, have some wonder for this moment, this precious moment in time. Um, and uh, when we do that, it tends to come out naturally because we discover things when we're curious that we just weren't noticing or paying attention to. And if we don't feel like we're having to control our kids, we're just getting to know them. It tends to pop out and that's enough. That really is. So the next uh, need of every child is support. And my first thought as, as I was looking at this was, well, you, you hear so much uh, about helicopter parenting and now snowplow parenting, you know, or yeah. it's, <laughs> helicopter parenting, parents hovering over them. And then snowplow parenting is just getting rid of all the obstacles in the way. Of, I'm sure you know that, yeah. I'm just, you know, but, but so how do we how do we support without being like those parents that we're trying to avoid? Well, you're uh, really have your finger on uh, one of the biggest challenges of support. Um, and and again, I think we're in a time and space where it feels uh, so urgent to shepherd our kids towards certain outcomes, and that if we take our hands off the wheel, that they're going to fall behind. And there are certainly good reasons for that. Um, uh, for those pressures to be, you know, bear down on us, but it doesn't serve them well in the long term. Um, they have to find their way. Our job is to uh, we use the term in child development scaffolding. So this idea that you're not controlling, but you're there to provide a structure um, input, uh, but not make every decision for your kid uh, so that it's the outcome that you want. Uh, or think has to occur in this moment and backing off that pressure and asking yourself the question why we feel that pressure that it has to, you know, my kid has to get an A in this class, you know, right now, um, this year, or what is the question? And I think uh, when we ask those questions, we discover a lot about our own fears about how things are going to turn out for our kids. And we, we need to take ownership of those things so that we can back off. Yeah, and, and in the book, we present the six needs in the form of a compass. So there are these different directions that we can turn to as our kids travel and journey through life, we are on a journey with them. And then there are these different directions that they're going to need at different times. And what you mentioned was delight is the one need that we feel like we can't overdo. But all of the rest, really, the sweet spot is in the middle. It's good enough parenting. It's, it's coming alongside <laughs> and being there present with them. But we do live in a culture where there's so much performance. And it's like we want to be the best at everything. But sometimes overdoing support really can um, keep your child from developing their own resiliency. And that's true for all of the needs. You can overdo them and you can underdo them. So we're really just trying to take the science that we found, see how it um, just dovetails with scripture and say, like, this is just a map for you to have an understanding. And then and then you and your family's journey is your own. So let's go here uh, to boundaries and I thought it was kind of funny. I, I was trying to figure out which parenting um, style I am from the pleaders and the shut it downers. I feel like I kind of vacillate between the two, <laughs> depending mm -hmm. depending we on my do. level of patience. <laughs> but you talk about that there's a third way. Yeah, and 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 that can be a hard one to embrace. That third way, which is 
um, to come at it from this space where, uh, look, our children need us to be in charge. We have an authority in their lives that is good for them. Um, but recognizing what to do with that authority is kind of the question. What, what genuinely helps shape and form our children to be healthy um, lovers, uh, uh, not just of themselves, but of others. Um, and so um, a healthy authority, at least you know, from the research and data, and I think scripture is supportive of this as well, is uh, that we're providing uh, guidance for them and helping them enter into their own decision-making. But you know, our children don't know what they don't know. Um, so in boundaries in particular, we come alongside of our children and say, here's something you're probably not thinking about. These are some consequences of your actions that aren't on your radar and they need to be. And that's partly my job is to put it on your radar and help you really grasp why that's important um, for little kids and older kids too, um, being able to help them enter into other people's experiences. You know, you remember that time when your sister came into your room and trashed, you know, your Lego creations, right? You know, we access that narrative story in, in our children's minds to help them go, oh, wait a second. So that's kind of like what I'm doing to my, my little brother or sister now. Yes, and that's why it's important. You've got to take some ownership of that. Um, so again, that's a kind of authority that's not heavy handed, that doesn't just come in and say there's going to be a consequence, uh, whether it makes sense or not to the crime, so to speak, but helps our kids grow into ownership that they live in a world, uh, you know, we delight in them, they're wonderful, we love them for who they are, but they also need to consider and love others. So that's really what Boundaries mm -hmm. is about. And Boundaries is, is a need where understanding our kids' brain development is just so key. So, so many of us who might lean towards the, the shutter downer types of parenting, um, especially when we do that, when we use our power to shut down our kids' behaviors in the very early years, they're not actually learning what they should be doing. They're just learning fear <laughs> and that there's a really strong negative consequence when they do something. So their little, their little systems are, are reacting to an emotional feeling that they're having rather than learning what they should be moving towards. And so good, good boundaries take time. It takes that, that presence, walking alongside, understanding that our kids are always changing and that the little will, willful behaviors that we're seeing when they're little um, are things that they're gonna grow out of as their brains mature into themselves too. So it also involves having patience for our kids and patients for ourselves, because it's really hard. I mean, it's, it, it's so difficult sometimes just the daily grind ins and outs of um, growing your children. And, and, and on that too, I feel like when you're trying to work with boundaries with your kids, and I see this with my 13 year old and uh, mostly now, cause he's a teenager. And so he likes to challenge authority a little bit more. It's always why, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I try yeah. to give him reason after reason. And then finally it's, I stamp my foot and I do what my dad said, you know, because I said so. Right. <laughs> right? Right. Is, is there a right. better way to do that? Uh, well, again, uh, I think that whole idea of um, children have trouble just because of brain development, um, placing themselves in other people's shoes and uh, kind of the one uh, tool or trick I would want every parent to realize they have, not that it works every time, but um, accessing your own children's own stories of pain and suffering at the hands of other people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and helping them to identify with the injustices they've felt and how that might relate to what you're identifying as, look, this is a no-go. Now, look, at the end of the day, uh, they may or may not buy into that. Uh, they may uh, want to resist that and say, I still don't think that's fair, et cetera. Um, but if we can, and, and there may be consequences, and that's just the way it's going to be. And you know, later on, whether that's a year or five or 10, uh, if I'm being wise and uh, open-hearted, I can trust that they're going to come around and say, yeah, now I get why that was such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think, and Jeffrey might need to jump in here because he's the psychologist, not me, but one of the uh, things that is so fascinating to me is how I think the, those middle years, those early teen years are just some of the hardest because the grain, the, the way that the brain is growing is so um, extreme and dynamic and it's shrinking and getting bigger. And one of the things that Jeffrey always says is that parents always say like, you look at your kid and you just feel like yesterday you acted like a 35 year old. Now you're acting like a two year old. Like, what were you thinking? There's this question. It's like that, like, what were you thinking? And they, you know how they look back at you blankly sometimes. And I think it's literally because they weren't thinking like their brain is changing so dramatically. And I will say on the other side of that with our oldest they come back to you. (laughs) It's just, again, it's that patience. It's the belief that this is a process that you're going through together, but that doesn't mean that it's not hard in the middle and you wonder like, what's going on here? And why is this so much harder than I thought it was going to be sometimes? And I think uh, then we're going into the next need, uh, protection. I'm sure we all remember that. And remember we either, it was either our parents or we had a friend's parent who was the super overprotective one, right? And then you say, I'm never going to do that. And then maybe there was a parent where you said, okay, it seemed like they let their kids do everything. I'm not going to let my kids do that either. So how do we find some happy medium where we're not shutting everything down that our kids do, but you know, giving them the boundaries that they need protection-wise? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I've found with the whole issue of protection is that um, – you know, being able to discern what is um, sort of a, a real and imminent danger versus one that are uh, that really draws on our fears of what's possible. <laughs> um, we live in a culture where we hear all the worst stories, um, just the media environment, our, our social feeds. Um, so they, you know, we we are prone to fear. Uh, and parent out of fear in different ways. And this is one way which protection can really go off the rails where we're really parenting out of um, unrealistic fears. Um, the reality is that we can't and wouldn't want to create a bubble safe world for our kids because when we protect them from everything uh, or most everything, uh, they don't discover their own resilience uh, their ability to find their own way through hard things. Uh, if we want to talk about relationship with God, uh, to call on God rather than always have mom or dad, uh, they're saving us from situations. Um, to be able to discern what is a safe situation and what's not on their own based on what's really going on for them. Um, I'm a kid from the 70s, man. We didn't like have any parents around. We were just <laughs> in all sorts of difficult situations and found our ways out. Now, some of those I really don't want my kids to have to go through. Um, 
but there was value in that. Um, so there's no right or wrong answers, but I do think that question, is this a fear, my, my impulse to protect my kid from this, is this really about fears of something I've heard might be possible or something that's really going on in my community, uh, in my family, um, uh, things that I have real data and inf- information to go on. So uh, jumping into comfort, one of the uh, needs of every child, I thought it was kind of a cool thought. I hadn't thought of it this way before, but you talk about that that we need to enter into the pain. Describe that a little bit more. Yeah. Comfort's a tough one um, because uh, in some ways, I think the toughest one because of how we're wired as human beings is that uh, emotions are contagious. Um, we all know the experience of being around somebody who's energetic and vivacious and that lifts us up um, and being around people who are bitter and angry and that kind of sours us. Um, and most of all in our closest relationships and we love our children so much. And when we see pain, we are gonna respond to that. That's gonna be uncomfortable for us. And depending on our own experiences with pain, uh, discomfort, um, usually in our own early attachment histories, we're either going to want to speed out of that, make that comfort go, you know, that distress go away as quickly as possible, or we will have learned and trust that this is a moment that will pass and that the thing that helps most for it to pass and get to a place where we can maybe learn something from it is to just sit with it, name it, um, not get frantic, um, not match the distress with our own distress, but really just say, here I am, I am with you. Mm-hmm. And I will be with you through this until we can figure out where to go from it. And even, it, you know, that can often just be a moment. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a... 60 minute therapy session. Um, it can just be one or two minutes of just saying nothing and saying, I'm here. I see that you're hurting in whatever way they are. And then when the wave begins to pass, uh, as it eventually does, you can move into the equipping part, which is trying to learn from it. And I think that so much of our, our kids pain is a result of their own actions, right? They, um, they jumped on their bike without checking to see that the, that the handlebars were loose or they, <laughs> they hit their sister and got hit back. Um, and so it's really, it can be very tempting to jump right to the correction, but that's another part we're learning about uh, brain development and really matters because kids really can't take in the lesson that you want to teach them until their, their nervous systems are calmed down enough. So when there is that moment of pain, even when they've been the ones that have brought it on themselves, just to be like, oh, that's hard. I could see that, you know, you're really hurting right now. Um, And sometimes we have to resist in ourselves what we really feel like saying, which is, again, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. Um, But just taking that pause and and that's going to look a lot different for our different kids and why it's so important to know who is this person in front of me. Some kids are going to want a long hug. Some kids are just going to want you to stay in the room with them. Your teenagers may just want to know, look, I, this just seems like the, the most difficult situation. I, I'm going to go to sleep now, but you knock on my door anytime you want to talk. You know, wake me up in the middle of the night if you have to. Um, I want you to know that I'm here for you. So as we kind of are just, uh, you mentioned, you know, you go from comfort to equipping. I think this is kind of the one I, I was a little, of all of them, 
I thought, I don't really know how do I, maybe I should figure this out. I got a 13 year old now. How do I equip my kids? (laughs) What does that mean? How do I do it? (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, you know, you see your kids going through stuff and, and, and this is, you know, the con, you know, the specific age may be different. Some of the challenges our kids face that we didn't have to deal with, but on the whole, uh, he, the human experience is the human experience. We see our kids going through these hard things and we think, I know what to do with, you know, you, you just need to, or, you know, it's, we have in our mind a frame of the problem and we want to pass our wisdom and knowledge onto our kids. Um, and that's a good thing. And, and, and they need that from us. The question is, uh, how do, how do I, create space for that information actually to be brought on board. Um, So we can give a lecture. We can just say, you need to sit and listen to me tell you about this situation you've been struggling with and how you can fix it. Uh, And, you know, I, I lecture probably too much and I catch myself because it's just probably not the most effective way. Um, um, But one of the most effective ways that I have, we've grown into, I think over the years, and we've got a, 16 year old now 14 and uh, 10 is just storytelling again. Um, Our children love hearing about our stories where we have struggled, where we have made bad decisions um, and what we've taken out of that without it necessarily having to be a directly uh, an object lesson, but just to hear the stories. And it's so easy, I think in parenting to feel inadequate and insecure particularly if our pasts have a lot of pain or we've made a lot of mistakes. Um, And I think I just want to say that we can be confident in how much we do know and understand. Our kids don't need us to be perfect. They just need us to be there with them. And um, I also think we don't quite understand because kids are so smart and they do, they can articulate themselves very well, particularly as they get older. They don't know how much they don't know yet, right? Mm-hmm. They're, um, as they, we have the ability to see in, into the future, into other situations that they might not have just the experience. So I think of a, um, a recent example with one of our older boys who'd been to a friend's birthday party and it was a significant party for this friend and one of their close knit, um, friends, one of another friends just didn't come. Like he just didn't show up and he didn't say why. And my son was so angry at this other friend. And he said like, it was such a jerky thing to do for him not to come to that party. Well, I know that this, this other friend's parents are incredibly strict and have a lot of rules. And there may have been a a reason completely separate that the boys couldn't have seen why he didn't come to that party. So I said to my son, it's possible that he was just being a jerk and he just, you know, he ditched the party and he doesn't care about his friend. Or do you think it might be possible that, um, that his parents might've given him a limit or a rule that said he couldn't come or he couldn't participate in the activity that you guys were doing at that party. And I just saw my kid kind of tip his head and wonder. And he said, yeah, that actually makes sense. I could see that happening. And that's something that we might think, oh, our kids would know that automatically, but they don't. So it's using our authority in that way and our experience to be just entering into these conversations, not with all the answers, but really with just curiosity about our kids' lives. So let's uh, jump to the end. I mean, everyone wants to know the secret. You've got at the very end, the secret to a secure connection. And um, 
or secure relationship rather. And I, I thought this was so good because I think so ha- it's so hard right now when you look online and you see, you know, you're, you're looking at Pinterest and you're looking at people's Facebook pages and you're like, man, these parents have it all together. I don't. How can I have a secure connection? Thankfully, you say the answer is not having a perfect relationship, right? Yeah, that is really um, true. Um, it's a lie if we buy into it that if you're not doing something or doing it right, uh, or if you're lost in the weeds, your kid is struggling, that you are failing. What really matters is the process. How do you, you know, we, we use the compass metaphor as a, as a guide, a tool, a way of helping you figure out how have you gotten off track or off the trail, however you want to put it. Um, and the goal isn't to always be on a straight line where no bad things ever happen. Nobody loses their cool. Nobody makes a mistake. We feel that pressure though, that if I, if I, or my child goes off the trail in some way, isn't doing what is others might expect of them, or I expect of them, um, that we're failing. And actually that process of saying, oh, noticing, I think we're off the trail here (laughs) and saying, let's call a timeout and let's uh, put our heads together and try and figure out what's going on, how we got off the trail and how do we get back on it? And that process, that curiosity, that leadership that takes somebody to say, hey, we are off the trail at this point and um, this is what we need to consider. That is a grace-filled process. Uh, It keeps our children connected with us so that they continue to trust us. Um, Hopefully trust in the God who is also walking with us in in a similar fashion Um, and allows them to become more confident and empathic people as they grow older. Yeah. And the secret to secure relationship is not that there is not, there are not wrong turns and, um, and missteps and moments when it honestly feels like everything is broken. Um, The secret is to repair. It's all of those things that Jeffrey was talking about. It's saying, this is hard. I mean, so many of us grew up in situations where there were hard things in our families. And then we all just went to bed and we woke up and it was as if nothing had happened or we're just gonna keep soldiering on. Um, and it's about facing those hard things head on and saying, I'm committed to make this right with you. And that might take years. I mean, that is a, that's a journey that we're on in our families and our relationships, but to be committed to that, to say, I don't wanna leave this hard broken thing in between us um, and we can get through even this thing. That's where actually our families and our kids grow strong. I don't know if Easter has snuck up on you like it is for me. I mean, time doesn't matter anymore during quarantine and and the pandemic. But hopefully this kind of sets your heart in the right place. We'll be talking next week with Daniel Darling, who wrote a book about the characters of Easter, where you get to kind of look inside the mind and the circumstances of so many people that maybe you've just kind of glossed over their stories because you've read it so many times during Easter. So, you know, it gives you a chance to take a journey back through first century Palestine, walk in the shoes of people like Simon Peter, Judas Pilate, John, Mary Magdalene, and others. And that's coming up next week on the 32nd Book Club podcast.